This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Next on Plains FM, host Tina Dakem-Luke interviews inspiring women on This Is Who We Are. Tina Dakem-Luke, and this is Who We Are. Last episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Frida Wells, communication professional, designer, connector, curator and publisher. Our conversation was fuelled by the evolution of Kiwi Diaries and the who, when, why and how. Today, I have invited Frida back to go deeper on how she contributes to advancing well-being of people and planet, from her micro-inner relationship with self, to how she breathes life into her understanding and evolution to support others and her environment via yoga and mindfulness. In this lead-up to Christmas, a period often fraught with pressures and stress for so many, I invite you to take a pause, grab a drink, Get comfy, and I will re-intro Frida after this song. Here I go out to see again The sunshine fills my head And dreams hang in the air Goals in the sky and in my blue eyes You know it feels unfair There's magic everywhere Look at me standing Here on my own again I'm straight in the sunshine
so lovely to get to chat with you again so let's touch briefly on the meaning of that song it's so beautiful okay well I first heard that song in my yoga teacher training and it's quite a common habit for yoga teacher in shavasana which is corpse pose at the end of a yoga sequence to play some music that helps people stay present in the moment and really just relax and I just found it incredibly beautiful. And there was something in the lyrics that touched on suffering as, as a normal part of life, which I think when you do your yoga teacher training, you're taught to lean into and to embrace that you can't really connect in with your truth without, you know, embracing there will be pain, there will be hard times in this beautiful package of life. So yeah, I often play that song in Shavasana and I always get at least one student come up after the class and ask, who was that? <laughs> it's just got a, she's just got incredible vocal cords as well. <laughs> and music yeah. can be such a wonderful way to support us when we're having big emotions too, can't it? <gasps> Absolutely. Did we speak about um, Ethan Hawke's little video on creativity and the role it has in our lives last Not time? Not no. I'll try and succinctly sum it up it's beautiful he sort of says you know what's the role of poetry what's the role of art in our lives and often we might think it's a little bit woo woo or a little bit you know it doesn't really speak to us and then something big will happen and it might be a death or it might be a breakup or it might be a child is born and we have these big feelings and then we're like has anyone ever felt this and how do I make sense of it and then art really starts to speak to us so, yeah, music can just be that doorway to soothe us. And, you know, you think about um, the music that is just timeless, the sort of um, orchestras and, you know, you put on just a solo cello and it can really do something to your heart, which I think speaks to we're so much more than verbal beings. <laughs> yes. It is. It's beautiful. And it's 
such a wonderful thing that we can all access and there's so many different genres there is definitely something for everyone and if there isn't then we can craft our own as well so coming yeah. back to yoga I'm really interested in the yin and the yang of that and the inner and outer so I, I know that there's potentially inner poses and outer poses that that stretch you in different directions how do you balance sessions around that hmm, I love that question <laughs> Stretching in different directions, yeah, because you you know you start thinking I'm going to go stretch my spine and my arms, and my legs, and you start to stretch your mind and your heart and your lungs, and you discover hopefully that they're all so very much connected. Um, there's a beautiful book, I think it's called Heal Yourself or something very you know <laughs> hard to misinterpret by Dr. Nicole Lapera. She's a holistic psychologist and she studied conventional psychology. She went out and became a therapist and she sort of noticed a lot of her students had you know gut issues or IBS or um, skin issues and she really that was the start of her journey to delve deep into that mind-body connection. But going back to your question, um, yeah, there's a beautiful saying I often say when I'm teaching that um, in a pose, it's not about how far you go, it's about how you go. And so really it's sort of about what does that pose or that shape give you access to in your inner space? Um, and so really that whole, what you're talking about, the micro and the macro and the as within, so without, um, I think yoga is just the last of the test of time and so many people come to it for healing and find it um, heals things that they might have been paying thousands to various, you know, physios and counsellors for years um, because it, um, it touches on all parts of us. And when we only touch on one, when you're on a couch talking therapy or you're, you know, um, only touching on your nutritional issues, you know, they're actually all connected Um and so yoga it really is this journey. You might start with the physical practice, the asana, the moving, and then hopefully the teacher will nudge you to notice what mood does that have or what thoughts brings up. And we're in a challenging pose. What narrative, what story do you have? Well, I'm not strong or I'm not flexible. I can't do that. And that's that inner voice. Um, it can really control our lives. It, um, you know, there's sort of this... Uh, line in therapy that says that what's often distressing about well distressing is not an event itself but the stories we tell ourselves about it and our perception so yeah really long answer touching on many other things <laughs> just about um that journey that yo yoga might start physically and then it really will get you into building your self-awareness and discovering the voices in your head the narratives the stories you're telling yourself and the fact that you can rewrite them to be a lot more healthier and self-supporting yeah. So what I'm understanding from what you're voicing is that actually if we are um, suffering or we have suffered uh, periods of trauma in our lives that our body can store those emotions in our cells and our tendons and our ligaments and perhaps when we're going into stretches and yoga we're touching on those deeply buried emotions so I guess the wonderful wraparound nature of yoga is it doesn't just take care of, of the physical outer but it really looks after the mind and the emotions and brings us back to a different way to have a relationship and mindfulness with ourselves. Mm, I love that you said that. That shows you have some deep wisdom. Um, and yes, I was talking to someone recently about, you know, we sort of live our lives uh, conceptualizing of things quite chronologically, but 
you know, some things are outside of time. And like you say, trauma can really be stored in us. And we carry that sort of that blueprint or that, that maybe that coat around us that characterizes how certain situations might trigger us. And we might not even understand why. We might just get these strong feelings and not really quite know what it's connected to. And those things are at that deep, you know, biological cellular level and there are therapies that are completely non-verbal and I I can't think of what they're called but they can uh, sort of come into healing those and you know there's this great quote from Susan David Dr Susan Susan David she wrote emotional agility and I think she said um, avoidance is um, going to prevent you know, prevent that holds us back from greatness in our lives. So anything we avoid, you know, we can never come to understand it. So, yeah, I think there's, um, you know, you do hear people like Dr. Gabor Mate, the author of uh, The Myth of Normal. He sort of talks about so much intergenerational trauma sort of does exist in society because of all these things that we've been taught are, um, we don't speak about that or we, um We've been taught that some feelings are bad, um, whereas there's this beautiful new holistic movement in psychology, which I'm so glad for, for humanity, because <laughs> it sort of takes the shame out of um, yeah. being human, that it's all normal and that actually feelings are normal. It's a beautiful quote from um, Maya Angelou, and she said, I am a human being, so um, nothing human is foreign to me, just sort of meaning you know, we're, we're universally uh, normal and maybe circumstances have, you know, um, given us these um, experiences that, yeah, they were traumatic and um, I think psychology is evolving constantly and for quite a while it's not necessarily been serving humans the best way it could with, you know, medicate that and go and talk about that for the rest of your life. And, you know, there's actually so much more and a lot of indigenous cultures have known this, you know, they have rituals around storytelling and just dancing, just getting that energy out and shaking it out. So yes, yes, <laughs> I could go on about that for a while. <laughs> and keeping the systems moving, whether it's the emotional yeah. or the physical. Um, mm. So I really like that thought around mindfulness, around rebuilding self-connection with yourself and taking self-responsibility in a loving and, and caring way. Can you speak to that? Yes, and I sort of feel not massively qualified. I'm still learning about this myself. But I suppose it's sort of starting with noticing, that really basic first step. And then even just in that noticing phase, we can you know, feel embarrassed or feel self-loathing or shame, like we can sort of um, be our worst enemy sometimes in how we interpret how we feel. But when we sit down and we start to hear that voice and and speak to it, um, there's a lot of sort of really encouraged therapies that just can build that self-awareness. And I know that Nicole Pereira talks about journaling um, and setting very small little attainable goals that rebuild that trust with yourself. So she talks about a, a woman she worked with who went through a massive transformation. I think she'd been diagnosed with MS and she just really thought, had been told the rest of her life would be on a couch and taking medication and deteriorating. And um, she discovered Nicole and she set herself a goal of drinking one glass of water every morning. And just, you know, it's a very long story. It goes a lot beyond that, but just holding that, um, commitment to herself 
So she rebuilt that self-trust and sort of often underneath these negative stories that we have about ourselves, we're not honouring ourselves. We're, we're sort of betraying that deeper part of ourselves that really when we're born with this pure, perfect ball of love and light and humanity. And unfortunately, we can be exposed um, as we grow up to things that may stick in us, other people's narratives, you know, telling us off or belittling us or shaming us, they can become an inner voice that we think is a truth or a belief. So, yeah, um, I'm not sure if I fully answered the question yes, in the direction you, you wanted me to go. But, um, yeah. mm. What that also reminds me of too is something really powerful that, that I learned and, and I've only just reminded myself of recently is that sometimes actually the fastest way to come into balance and peace with yourself and contentment is actually to just hop out of your mind because our mind often mm. sticks those barriers and protections and can'ts and, and should have, would have, could have. And if we really mm. anchor down into our hearts, there's such a space of peace and and healing that can hold us there that feels open and and life can feel doable from that space when we actually just sink down deeper I love that so much I actually spoiled myself because as a yoga teacher I don't often go to other people's yoga classes and I went to another amazing teacher's class Sonsi Elliott she's in Wellington and she at the very beginning we were sitting in meditation just and she said just allow your mind to drop down into your heart and I think that's just the best line I've heard in a very long time because it speaks to what I try to focus on in my classes a lot, which is just to rewire hearts and gut and stomach and all the body intelligence back into this territory where we have a lot of activity going on in our mind and we sort of think, if I just stay in my head and think, 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 I will solve this problem, I will find that answer, I will, you know, we just get stuck in these um, these echo chambers in our mind and really a lot of the wisdom is below the neck. Um, yeah, so I I think you've touched on something that's so powerful. I, I read an article recently talking about, you know, Aborigines um, 40,000 years ago, their culture knew that we're all interconnected and just to respect nature and to to be peaceful and quiet and listen a lot. And just, I think we're in a culture where and here we are talking, but <laughs> um, where we've forgotten how to really listen, including to ourselves. And I think meditation, when you pause and you sit in silence and, you know, of course, there'll be this amazing monkey mind going, oh, my God, I've got to put the kettle on. I've, what am I going to do today? And <laughs> um, But it does, you know, when you, you just bring that attention back to your breath. And I, I often find the breath is that anchor that keeps you in that present moment and then the sensation of breathing down in the belly, out of the mind, and it just, you feel that nervous system gradually um, regulating. So, yeah, it's often just when we're stressed, we're dysregulated and healing is all about bringing our nervous system back into regulation. I feel yeah. that so many of us too, and I'm one of these people, I'll put my hand up really high, I <laughs> have to really work at belly breath. Like I've lived uh, mm. my life in that that top part of those quick, slow like breaths that that aren't deep. And when I even uh, go into any form of class that really encourages me to do the belly breath, I feel the tightness in all those parts of me that aren't used to breathing in that way. Um, mm. And and I practice it, and then at some point I hop out of it, and I haven't yet caught myself when the breath changes, but I'm in that learning phase, I guess, of really understanding the difference 
And I guess we have oh. to notice first before we can catch ourselves in those moments. Yeah, and I remember appreciating when a teacher said, you know, when you do notice you've come out of something, don't beat yourself up for it because that's often our first response and we, you could um, have your catastrophizer voice go into, oh, I'm such a failure, I'm going to forget this. And, you know, that's that voice is completely unhelpful and it's also just completely wrong, but it's sort of a, you know, this learned response um, when we're comparing ourselves and when we're in this culture that incentivizes individual success. And I was having a conversation recently with someone that, well, actually I stole this line from probably Fritjof Capra or someone like that, a systems thinker who um, was saying we need to incentivize collective success and just thinking about how would we change how we show up in so many settings, our family, our relationships, our work, if the collective success was what was incentivized? It's quite a sort of a confronting shift. Um, but yeah, also to speak to your belly breath, I sort of, I've had so many moments like that myself in my yoga journey because it's, you know, we're constantly practicing, even, you know, all the teachers out there, they're constantly learning. And it um, it just makes me think of that, mind body you know sort of emotion cognition connection that is the human that we have this you know this in our neck it's not just the throat breathing <laughs> there's this you know um the vagus nerve this all these connections from brain to body are very real very physical but we've sort of had this dominant um paradigm and education and in society that really has cut out the qualitative you know the heart and the feeling and it's just gone into the quantitative and the the rational and the, the information and the facts. And I think we're seeing this beautiful transformation where the pendulum is swinging back to, you know, bringing feelings back in. And we're seeing a lot more mainstreaming and normalizing of well-being and psychological safety and psychological courage. And I'm feeling very, very happy about that. <laughs> it is exciting. Time always goes yeah. too quickly, but I'm just wondering if we can touch briefly on, uh, we, well, no session's complete without an acronym, let's face it, but I've got, <laughs> got written down here REBT and also um, how that might be supportive um, when we fall into those aspects of ourselves that chase drama. Yes, yes. So I um, was very fortunate to have um, a some training recently through my work on effective presenting and we were talking about what happens when you're feeling nerves when you're about to get up to speak and these could apply to really nerves in any situation or any stressful situation you've got a deadline you've got a um, interaction with someone that you're stressed about and um, you know depending on which inner voice becomes dominant you might start to that stress might come from a thought that is telling you that catastrophizer is saying, oh, my God, this is a disaster. Oh, my God, you know, it's just going to be so horrible if this happens or if this happens. And really it goes from zero to 100 of worst-case scenario. This, You know, I can't go on if this thing happens. So that catastrophizer will release all this cortisol in our adrenal glands. It's, um, it's very much led by the brain. So that thought filters down into the body and we get that stress response. We sweaty hands, we get um, palpitating heart, we can't think very clearly. And so there's, um, I'm not very much an expert on it at all, but I know that it exists, this rational emotive behavior therapy, REBT. So it's based on that idea that the event is not cause, what causes us distress, but it's how we think about those events. And so there's these more helpful voices that we can start to practice, which is, for example, the 
the goal setter voice or the manager voice. So the goal setter might say, well, I'm just going to try and focus on my message or uh, the manager voice might say, well, you know, I might not get it perfect, but um, be totally fine. And, you know, something sort of slightly more supportive and encouraging. And there's that lovely um, fact, really, that you can't have two thoughts at once. You can only have one thought at a time. So if you notice and you switch to a constructive thought, that's going to be dominant. And so it is a little bit of um, practicing intentionality with our thoughts, which is, again, what we practice in yoga. You know, we set that sankalpa, that intention at the beginning. And at the start, I remember, you know, 20 years ago, I would sort of just be told to have this really kind, compassionate thought about myself. And sometimes, depending on my mood, I would just react to that. Like, oh, what a, you know, I couldn't even buy into it. And then you just, so you take a halfway step towards it and might say, I am open to the idea that I am learning and, you know, I'm open to the idea that um, I completely deserve love and I'm completely worthy and I'm enough. So, yeah, it's just really um, replacing unhelpful thoughts with more helpful ones and practising that. <laughs> and, and the wonderful thing is once you understand that, we each have the power mm. to do that. It costs nothing. It just asks yeah. us to give ourselves that moment and prioritise ourselves. I really want to thank you for taking this time in, in this busy time of year to spend some more time with me. I could speak to you forever. I, it's wonderful when you, when you meet a fellow lifelong learners and, and you could go <laughs> off on any tangent that you want. I think um, probably a Friday night with a drink would be a bit dangerous for us. <laughs> we, could, <laughs> we could circle out macro yes. around the globe and uh, come back in again. So I really do wish oh, you a, a wonderful yep. festive season. And is there anything that you would like to say uh, to our listeners as we finish up? Um, I suppose, yeah, just noticing, noticing your feelings and drawing that line of sight back to, you know, what underlying need am I having having here? And, and also just that compassion for when we are um, having a disagreement, you know, family Christmases, they can lead to all these triggers and these tensions, just... Um, building that sort of um, practice of receptiveness to other views and um, not needing to be right or wrong, just acknowledging that we're all entitled to our different views. I don't know, that's a, that's a bit of a tangent. I've been thinking about that one recently. It's powerful um, and Thank so you so true. much. It's, yeah, real pleasure to talk to you always and look forward to the next conversation. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. So Christchurch, I really encourage you in this lead up to Christmas, don't fall into the craziness. Give yourself permission to have a different kind of Christmas that can be supportive to you and your family, those you love. Kia kaha Christchurch.